All right, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. We're just slowly taking a look at the last words of Jesus to his followers before he goes to the cross, before he resurrects from the dead, before he ascends back to the Father, and he's He's laying the foundation. He's preparing His disciples for what is to come. And He's trying to strengthen them and encourage them and give them that solid foundation. And so let me even just say right up front, that's what God is doing with you right now in your life. He's trying to strengthen you. He's trying to lay a a more solid foundation in your life for what is to come, for what He has for you, what He has prepared for you, what He's calling you to do and to be. And he knows what that is, and he right now is putting you and I through that preparation so that we will be ready, so that we will be willing, so that we will be able to meet the challenges and to step up and lay hold and take hold of what God has for us that's coming. And so it's always good that we remember that we're in that state of preparation, and that's exactly where the disciples were as well. Again, notice that in... In a sense, in his moment of greatest need, Jesus, that instead of focusing on himself, he's focusing on others. He's focusing on preparing his disciples for what's ahead. So beginning in verse 16, because we left off at verse 15 last week, beginning at verse 16 of chapter 16, Jesus says these words. In a little while, you will see me no longer. But, again, after a little while, and you'll see me. What what Jesus obviously is saying is, look guys, I am going to be apart from you for a little while, but then you're going to see me real quickly again. And I think, obviously, what he's talking about is that once he dies, they're not going to see him for a couple of days, but once he resurrects, he's coming right back, and they're going to see him again, okay? The point that I want to make is this. That in that second word, to see him, in verse 16, he's not only talking about our natural physical sight, he's talking about natural sight becoming spiritual vision. In other words, he's also reminding us of something here that he's saying, when you disciples see me in my resurrected form, it's not just going to be something that you take in physically. It's going to be something that affects you spiritually. It's going to give you spiritual vision beyond just what you are physically seeing. And the reason I wanted to stop and point this out is that's exactly what God wants all of us to be in the habit of doing as His followers and disciples. That we're not just physically seeing things, in a sense, but we're able to see beyond if you will, the physical world and that we have that spiritual insight and that spiritual vision that being in fellowship with Christ, being guided by the Holy Spirit of God gives us, if you will. Um, Let me give you an example, I guess, of of what I mean by this. Um, We can go through a day and come into contact with with obviously a lot of different people. And and I think that one of the things that God wants to build into our lives, if you will, 
is that sensitivity to the people that we're coming in contact with, that are around us, maybe the opportunities we have, and to, to start again seeing, but seeing as God sees, and seeing things through the spiritual vision of, does this person know the Lord? Do I have an opportunity to, to share faith with this person? Could I get into a... Sp- or, do I think that this might be a brother or sister in Christ? And maybe do they need encouragement? Um, could I pray with them? You know, it, it's, it's about going through our day and not just physically seeing things, but being able to spiritually take things in. Let me give you another example. The Bible talks about the fact that, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. So do we, as believers in Jesus Christ, as we look around at creation and at the sunrises and sunsets and and all that God has created, do we allow that physical sight to somehow translate into, God, thank you, that was beautiful. God, thank you for making that. God, I, I can see your glory in that. You see, that, that's what Jesus here is, is saying to his disciples. You won't just physically see me, but it will go beyond that. You will now have some spiritual vision as well. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here, beyond just the, what it seems to be like he's playing hide and seek with the disciples. You know, you're going to see me, then you're not going to see me. And I'm sure they're like, What's going on here, Jesus? You know, we don't, we don't get this, right? So notice, in fact, in verse 17, then some of the disciples said to one another, what is the meaning of what he's saying? In a little while, you won't see me. Then again, after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So notice, they kept on repeating to each other, what is the meaning of what he says in a little while? We do not understand what he's talking about. God bless those disciples. They're an encouragement in this way. If you've ever been in a place where it's like, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around this, God, I'm having a hard time grasping this, I'm having a hard time comprehending, guess what? You're not the first ones and you won't be the last ones. His own disciples that were trained and discipled and taught by Jesus himself, even after three years, still had trouble grasping and understanding spiritual truth. Now, I will say this. I do want to make this distinction. I think it's important for you and I being in the age we live in. Part of the reason they had such a struggle is because they didn't yet have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was going to come, and as Jesus talked to them about last week, He will guide you into all truth. So at least we have that advantage over the disciples. We have God, the Holy Spirit, living within us, and He ultimately, as we've talked about, is our teacher, and He is our God, and He will lead us. But even with the Holy Spirit living within us, there will be times as just a mere human being that we are that we will have a hard time grasping and comprehending all that God, you know, is revealing. 
Which is why even Jesus said last week to his own disciples, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. You're not in a state of mind that's ready to receive it. Which is why we need to continue to grow and pursue God. Because it's as we stay in contact and fellowship with God that our minds are more ready to receive. Because as Paul said to the Romans, we are allowing our mind to be renewed day by day through His Word and through the Spirit. Which then keeps our mind in a place where we are ready and willing and able to receive what God wants to say to us rather than to get to a spiritually unhealthy place where we don't want to hear what God has to say. See? It's sort of one of the distinctions between a Christian and a disciple. A Christian sometimes will avoid hearing what they need to hear and be looking for what they want to hear. A disciple, even though it's not pleasant, will try to keep themselves in a place where they will always be hearing not only what they want to hear, but what they need to hear from God. And we see that Jesus is doing that with his own disciples here. Now notice something. In verse 19, Jesus could see that they wanted to ask him about these things. So he's going to talk to them about that. But I want to point this out. That's always the best option. Can we just say that? Going directly to Jesus and talking to him about things and asking him about things and praying is always the best option. But just like the disciples, a lot of times that's not the option we take. We start asking each other about it. And many times, as it would be here with the disciples, it was nothing but mutually shared ignorance. Do you know what he's talking about? No, I don't know what he's talking about. Do you know what he's talking about? No, I don't know what he's talking about. And, and of course, the Bible says, Jesus said, they kept repeating it. Do you understand what he's, what he's saying? In a little while you'll see me, then you won't see me. They didn't have a clue. And yet they kept asking each other. Why? Because they were more comfortable asking each other than they were approaching Jesus. You know why? Because they always... We're striving to be in a good light with Jesus. They, they, they were embarrassed by not understanding, and so they were sort of trying to get around not understanding by trying to hope that somebody else other than Jesus could tell them so that they could get, you know, sort of like, you know, going back to the days when you were in school and, you know, the teacher's teaching something and You're not getting it, but you're certainly not going to raise your hand in front of all your friends and all the classmates and go, teacher, I'm just not getting it. Now, nobody else in your class might be getting it either. But see, nobody wants to be cast in that kind of light, see. And yet the teacher is the one that actually has the answer and they're the ones that can actually help. But we don't go to the teacher, we go to our friends who don't know any more than what we do. And that's what was happening here with the disciples and Jesus. And Jesus is, is, I think, in this moment trying to say, guys, I know you don't know. And it's okay. Come to me. You know, don't be afraid to go to Jesus any more than we shouldn't have been afraid to go to the teacher and ask because they're the ones that know. 
And, and though we might think, well, what's God going to think of me because I don't know this? Listen, God respects more are just being transparent and honest when we don't understand something, when we're not getting something, and that we're willing to go to the source, God, and say, God, help me with this, than to try to make an end run and try to figure it out some other way. Which is what the disciples were doing. Jesus knew they really wanted to ask him, but none of them would dare do it. So I want to encourage you tonight. Don't ever be afraid to go to Jesus. And ask. And talk to him about things. Jesus is never going to make fun of any of us for asking questions about things that we don't understand. It may be our spiritual enemy or our own prideful flesh that keeps, him, keeps us from going to Jesus, but it won't be Jesus that discourages us from coming to him. You see. Just as the disciples were here. And so he says again, verse 19, Jesus knew. He could see that they wanted to ask him about these things. So he said to them, are you asking each other about this? That I said in a little while you'll not see me again, in a little while you'll see me again? And I'm sure about this time the disciples started to get a little red, you know, a little warm, a little embarrassed. Again, because Jesus was pointing out, I know what's going on here, guys. You're not hiding anything from me. I know where you're at. And then notice what he says in verse 20. I tell you the solemn truth. I want to stop there because that, that's important. Don't want to pass that by. When that phrase is used in the New Testament, especially in relationship to Jesus, it means what is sure what is certain, what is firm, what is trustworthy. In other words, when Jesus speaks to us, when he gives us his word, it is always those things. It's certain, it's sure, it's trustworthy, it's reliable, it's dependable. You can bank on it. You can stake your life on it. You can stake your eternity on it. You can stake the foundation of your life on it. There is nothing more sure than when Jesus speaks. I tell you the solemn truth. In the old King James versions and translations of the Bible, it would usually be, Verily, verily, I say unto you, or Truly, truly, I say unto you. It was a way for Jesus even to emphasize the truth, if you will, the surety about what he was saying. And that's always good for us to be reminded of. In fact, that reminds me of something. Keep your finger there. Go back to the book of Ecclesiastes for just a moment. I love this, if I can find it. I'm having a hard time flipping through my Bible here. Yeah, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I want to read this passage to you. Verse 9, 10, and 11. 
Now Solomon here is talking about the teacher, but ultimately he's talking about the teacher. He says, not only was the teacher wise, but he taught knowledge to the people. He carefully evaluated and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful words and to write accurately truthful sayings. The words of the sages are like prods. Prods are what guide us and direct us. They are also what stimulate us and stir us. And that's what the Word of God should do in our lives. It should guide and direct. It should stimulate and stir us. But notice the next part of that verse. And the collected sayings are like firmly fixed nails that are given by one shepherd, God Himself. I love that picture. Firmly fixed nails. It describes something that will stabilize or steady. It describes something that will stand up. Think of, you know, when you drive a nail into a wall to hang something on. You don't sit there every day and worry, is that thing going to fall? Because in your mind, I have fixed that nail there and it's going to stay. It's going to stabilize what I have nailed Well, that's what God wants His Word to be. And that's why God obviously gives us truth. So that it can be these nails, if you will, that that just stabilize and steady our lives. Things that we can count on. As the saying goes, things that you can hang something on. And you know it won't falter or fall. That's what Jesus means when He tells His own followers and us, I'm telling you the solemn truth. In other words, Jesus could say, I'm giving you firmly fixed nails. Nail your life to My Word. So back to John 16. What is Jesus' solemn truth here? It's not something I'm sure the disciples wanted to hear, but it's something out of love for them that Jesus needed to tell them. And notice what He tells them, verse 20. You will weep and wail. Literally, you will sob audible sobs in mourning. But the world will rejoice. Now just think about that. Think about, first of all, what awaits the disciples and followers of Jesus Christ because of what's coming. And Jesus isn't even revealing to them all the details, all the horrors that's going to happen in the next couple of days because He knows they, just, they couldn't handle it. But He's generalizing things here. And He's saying, guys, it's going to be so bad that you're going to sob audible sobs in mourning, but the world's going to be happy and rejoice. And think of this too. Think of the contrast here, if you will, between the reaction of the disciples of Jesus Christ and the reaction of the world to the death of Jesus. And why that's important to remember is, you and I today, as we apply this sort of principle to our lives, we may not have the death of Jesus before us that we're going to be mourning over while the world rejoices, but you and I know in the world in which we live, a world system that is opposed to and in rebellion against God, 
that there are many times where the things that the world rejoices over causes us or should cause us as believers in Jesus Christ to weep. To be sorrowful and sad. That though they think it's good what's happening in the world, we understand the deeper meanings, if you will, of what's happening we, through the spiritual vision and insight that God has given us, understand the tragedy of what's happening in the world, and we see things from a totally different perspective than the world. The world sees being progressive, especially on moral issues, as a good thing. We're evolving as a species. We're advancing past the old, you know, way of looking at things. And we're moving on. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, understand they are abandoning the moral code of the Bible. And it's not something to rejoice about and be happy about. It's something to be sad about. It's something to mourn. It's something to weep about. So this principle has carried through, even though... What brought it about is different, the crucifixion of Jesus. You and I still have this same thing happening today, or should. Our reaction many times is going to be different than the world's reaction to the things that are happening in this world today. Just as it was in Jesus' day. Then he goes on to say, you will be sad The word means to experience deep emotional pain and grief. And we can understand that. Jesus is dead. He's died on a cross in such a horrific way. This is going to cause his followers this deep emotional pain and grief as they see, as they hear the events that are about to happen. But your sadness, Jesus says, is this is just as true. This is just as certain. This is just as trustworthy. Your sadness will turn into joy. Notice that the word turn here means to become or grow into. In other words, Jesus is saying that through your becoming to a different place, through, through your own growth, if you will, you're going to be able to see things differently through your own experience. Obviously, once you see the risen Christ, once you touch me, once you've had fellowship with me, once you've eaten with me, you're going to see things differently. Your sadness is going to turn. Now, a couple things. First of all, let's remember this. They wouldn't have had to go through all of this pain and grief. It's not like this was inevitable. They didn't have to look at it so negatively. I mean, not that that they wouldn't have had any feeling for actually watching Jesus physically die, but part of the reason why they were going through such mourning and such grief and such emotional pain is they didn't have the faith yet to believe that this wasn't the end. See, to them, the death of Jesus, that was it. He's gone. And if they would have just believed in the Word of God, they would have spared themselves and saved themselves from all the sorrow that they were experiencing. And the reason I wanted to point this out tonight is you and I do the same things to ourselves. 
that sometimes you and I experience unnecessary sadness and sorrow and pain and grief in our life simply because we're not at that moment trusting in and putting our faith in the sure Word of God. And because we're not trusting in it, we're putting ourselves through all of this emotional upheaval that wouldn't have to be there if we would trust what God said. You see. So I I don't want us to think that somehow God, you know, God chose for them to be this sad. No. But the disciples had not come to a place of growth in their life as the disciples yet to truly believe in what Jesus said, that I'm going to rise from the dead, that I'm coming back to life. They're going to kill me, but they they didn't want to hear that. They didn't really believe it. They didn't trust in it. And so when Jesus was hanging there and dying for them at that moment, that was it. That was the end. He was dead. And that's why they were going to go through that death. As I've shared with you before, and I don't want to take up a lot of time... I can give you my own personal testimony about the years in my own life that I spent in unnecessary, let me emphasize that, unnecessary anxiety. Because I didn't, at that moment, trust. And so that's where the disciples were. But Jesus does promise them, you're going to see me again. And when you see me resurrected, all of that sadness is going to turn. What does God want to turn in your life tonight? What does He want to change? What does He want to transform? What does He want to take from from you that you're experiencing this and and he wants you to experience this. Let him turn that. Keep becoming what God wants you to become. Keep growing so that that state that you're in now, you don't have to stay there much longer and you can watch God turn that place you're in. God turned that in my life and He'll turn it in your life as well. God is a God who turns things around. Then Jesus gives an illustration. When a woman gives birth, she has distress because her time has come, but when her child is born, she no longer remembers the suffering because her joy that a human being has been born into the world. Now, gals... Jesus here isn't minimizing what you poor gals go through. In fact, the word remember here that's translated in our English Bible is an unfortunate translation. The word that Jesus uses means to dwell on or focus on. So here's the picture. Jesus says, look, I know for nine months what you, know, what you girls go through and then all the pain of the delivery. But he says, once the life comes, once the baby comes, you're not focusing on all that, you know, all that stuff that you had to, you're focused on, oh my goodness, here's this wonderful life is born. I got to take care of it. And, and I'm rejoicing that it's now here. And, and that's what Jesus is saying here. He's also reminding us, what, what are we focusing on? Are we focusing on this over here? 
Or are we focusing on what God is going to bring about through the pain and through all of that that we're going through? You see, that's what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see. They're, they're focused on the moment. They're focused on the here and now. And they're not being able to look past it to what's coming. And Jesus wanting to get his disciples, all of us in all the ages, to be able to look past the present pressures and circumstances of life and to be able to look beyond it to what God is getting ready to bring about and what God wants to do. In fact, Jesus himself is an example of that. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, the author says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Jesus was able to look past all of that present suffering of the cross and the crucifixion to the joy that was set. And God wants to build that kind of outlook and focus into our lives. To where we don't get caught up, to where we get so focused on the moment of what we're going through that we forget about what God's producing through these things and what what positive things can come out of it, just like a woman giving birth. And so Jesus goes on to say, verse 22, so also you have sorrow now, you have heavy hearts now, but I will see you again. Literally, I'm going to be face to face with you. What assurance, what reassurance to these disciples when he promises them, he gives them the solemn truth that they will see his face again. He says, and your hearts will rejoice and no one, literally nothing, will take your joy away from you. Now think about what Jesus here is saying. That the joy now that the disciples will have when they see the resurrected Jesus is a joy that will be solidified and cemented in their life and will last till the day they die. And they will all die for their faith. And yet they will never lose that joy no matter what they go through. It has been cemented. It has been solidified. Nothing or no one will ever be able to steal or strip away that joy from them. And the reason this is a significant principle here is that God, Jesus wants to do the same thing in our lives. He wants to take us through things that will solidify and cement certain things into our life so that no matter what the circumstances are that's happening around us, those things remain. That nothing or no one can take those things away from us. And one of those things that God wants to give to His children that He wants no one to strip or steal away is His joy. His joy. Because again, we teach... Joy is not dependent on our circumstances. Joy is dependent on just my relationship with God and my acknowledgement of the grace and favor of God in my life. That's joy. Happiness can be based on circumstances. I'm happy today because this happened. I'm unhappy today because that happened. But God's gift of joy is something that he wants to solidify and cement into our lives so that nothing or no one can ever take it away. What is it that God wants to solidify and cement in your life right now? God is always looking to do that. 
He wants to, again, going back to the nails even, God wants to build into our lives certain things that will be unaffected by what we go through and by the circumstances of life. Things that will remain. Those nails that will keep us steady and stabilized no matter what. And one of those things is joy. I mean, you think about it. For a few days, the disciples were a mess. (laughs) But man, when they saw the resurrected Jesus... They never were the same. And like I said, no matter what they went through, even if it was giving up their lives for Jesus Christ and for the truth of the resurrection, no one ever took their joy from them. They went to heaven with that joy. And those are the things God wants to do in our lives. He doesn't want to build, if you will, such shallowness into our lives that that people can steal or strip things away from us. Or that circumstances can steal or strip things away from us. That should not be what characterizes a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we need to keep growing. Because we're always going to be in that process of having things cemented and solidified into our lives so that no matter what is going on around us, these things are always true and these things always remain. In a world today where many Christians live the the roller coaster, up and down and up and down and close to the Lord and then fall away and close and fall away, God wants to build into our lives a, a consistency and a steadiness, if you will. And that's one of the results of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. One final thing, and then we'll close. Notice now what Jesus begins to encourage them about. He says, yes, I am physically not going to be around, so you can't just appeal to me anymore. But look, guys, the Father loves and cares about you as much as I do. And you can go directly to the Father. And He will answer you when you talk to Him and you pray. This is a very important thing that Jesus wants to leave with the disciples because it's, it's a transition for them. This is a change. Jesus has physically been there. Anytime they needed something or wanted something, they could, if they wanted to, if they weren't too embarrassed like we've already seen in the passage, they could go right up to Jesus and say, Jesus, what about this? And we've seen them do that. James and John, you know, and, and their mother. Hey, can my sons have the greatest places in the kingdom? You know, People were always asking Jesus for things. And Jesus was there to ask. But when Jesus goes back to heaven, he didn't want them to stop asking. He didn't want them to stop seeking. He didn't want them to stop knocking. So he says, guys, even though I'm physically not going to be with you, please keep requesting things from the Father. Because it's not like I have to somehow make the Father, you know, like you, or, or you know, uh, somehow... Uh, You know, the Father's reluctant to bless you and favor you and and give good things as much as I am. No, no. He and I are the same. We're one. 
So you go ahead and you keep asking. So notice these words from Jesus. So also you have sorrow now. I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice. No one will take your joy away from you. And at that time you will ask me nothing. Because you can't. But I tell you the solemn truth. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Because again, they didn't need to. He was right there. Ask. Keep asking, keep requesting in the Greek language and you will receive it so that your joy may be complete. Jesus is tying now the the, the filled to capacity joy with answers to prayer. To see God the Father respond to us in prayer and answer our prayer. Jesus says this should bring you great joy that you can go directly to the Father. And and I want to say this. Very important here what Jesus is reminding us all about. And that is that you and I need no other mediator to go directly to the Father and ask Him for things other than Jesus Christ. I don't need, according to the word of Jesus Himself, to go through Mary. I don't need to go through some other saint I don't need to go through anyone else. Jesus teaches his own followers. You go directly to the Father. And you and I have that same privileged position today if we know Jesus as our Savior. That through the blood of Jesus, through the access of Jesus, through being able to come to the Father and use his own Son's name, and nothing gets and captures the heart of God the Father as much as using the name of His Son when we come into His presence. And Jesus says, just go directly to Him. Again, He knew that they were having a hard time even coming directly to them sometimes. But He wanted them to get to a point where they would not hesitate going to the the Father and saying, Father, This is what I need. This is what I'm asking of you in the name of Jesus. And we're going to talk about next week, what's it mean to ask the Father in the name of Jesus? Hope you'll come back next week. In closing tonight, I'd like to leave you with this. God the Father is waiting for you and I to ask. As I've said, Jesus many times told his followers, ask, seek, knock. You have not, James says, because you ask not. What is it right now in your life and in my life that the Father wants us to ask him for? Wants us to seek him for? Wants us to be knocking on heaven's door for? What is that? And don't hesitate. Prayer is such a unbelievable thing. It's so powerful in our lives and we we use it so infrequently. Jesus Christ Himself is encouraging His own disciples to pray. Ask the Father. Go directly to Him. And then lay hold of what He's going to give you. 
What does that mean for you in your life tonight? Let's pray. God, we thank You that You recorded for us these last interactions between Jesus and His own disciples. There's so much meat here, God. There's, there's so much truth here, God, that, that is so relevant to our own everyday lives as followers of You. Things that we can take ourselves and take from these passages and, and apply to our own walk with You, God. And we thank You for that. We thank You for the encouragement, for the refreshment, for the truth that we have here in Your Word. And God, I pray that something out of this passage tonight, one thing, may have really resonated with each one of us. That there was, there was some specific thing, God, that You wanted each of us to hear from this passage tonight. To solidify us. To cement us in You and in what You have for us. May we leave here tonight, God, encouraged and refueled and refreshed. And not only for our own sakes, God, but may we leave here, God, even with the desire to maybe share some of this with someone else that we know could benefit and profit from some of the things, God, you've shown us tonight from this. Because, Lord, it should never just stay with us we should just be that channel that it flows out to others as well. So God, use this tonight, not only in our lives, but in other people's lives. Impact us, God, with Your truth. And prepare us, Lord, for Sunday and, and for next Tuesday and even for the rest of this week, God, for whatever You have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here tonight. Tell somebody else about it. Bring them with you next week.